Okay, perfect. Good. Let's go live. And yes, we are live in Data on Kubernetes live stream number 153. We're so live. We got musical instruments and everything else. That being said, we've got a lot to cover with two wonderful human beings. But before we get started, do want to share a link. If you have plans for October 24th that don't have to do with DOK Day, cancel them immediately. Uh, you have all the info that you need to sign up virtually 100% for free with your KubeCon registration. Or you can alternatively attend in person with all the cool kids that will be hanging out in Detroit. So like I said, all the registration info is there. We got super cool end users like ING, great bank using open source technology to leverage data on Kubernetes. Also gonna have a talk from someone from Netflix, in case you're a Netflix fan. Um, that being said, today we're gonna be talking about CRDs with two wonderful people that are no strangers to our community. One of them is Alvaro, who has an elephant's head behind him. And we also have Iyad, I don't know what's behind him. It's a surprise that he'll reveal later. Uh, Iyad, since you're, I guess, a little bit newer to our community, why don't we start it with you? Tell us about who you are, what you're doing, what's your experience with CRDs? Yeah, so my name is Iyad. I'm leading the product at the tree, which is open source project for um, preventing misconfigurations on Kubernetes workloads. Um, it's a very popular project. We have more than 6,000 uh, stars right now. And I am also, speaking of stars, I also got accepted to the GitHub star program So last week. So now I'm, I'm officially a GitHub star. And I know that I said that I'm leading the product, but actually my background is from engineering. So I'm a full stack engineer, become a DevOps, become a product. It's a weird journey, I know, but this is my background. That's great. And congratulations. We are in the presence of a, a, a GitHub star. That's, I yeah, think yeah. You may be the, may be the first, is... the first. That's exciting. That's cool. There's only one hundred around the world. So that's a big deal. Wow, you're in, you're in an elite group. Also, in an additionally elite group, I don't know how many AWS heroes are there. I don't know, but maybe more than Wait, yeah, over. Know. I think we're over two hundred as of today. Okay, uh, okay. two forty something like this. Yeah, a little bit less exclusive, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> it's still really cool, nevertheless. It's still really cool. But it really depends on which topic because you have for containers, you have for serverless, you have for community, yeah. you have different heroes. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so I am data hero, and data hero are probably around twenty. Yeah, I'm a CNCF no, ambassador. I'm a CNCF ambassador. <laughs> we get all, we get so all. it's like a joke. A CNCF ambassador, GitHub star, and uh, AWS hero. Stepping to the <laughs> What's gonna happen? They walk into the 153rd uh, live stream of the Data on Kubernetes community, and we're gonna be talking about this topic related to CRDs. I will ask both of you at some point to share in the chat. I'll probably have some links that we'll be sharing. Um, with the other folks that are joining us on YouTube. For the folks on YouTube, of course, you can get your questions in here. We love questions. If you want to continue the conversation afterwards, we can always take it to Slack. Um, but that being said, in terms of a little bit of context, there are certain things after 153 live streams that stand out. And one of them, and Alvaro knows this very well, is the fact that he said quite some time ago that CRDs are his favorite feature on Kubernetes. Something that's always stuck with me, something I've referred to many times, asking other folks, well, CRDs aren't your favorite feature. What, what, fe what feature really you know, uh, you know, gets your attention? Um, so that being said, Alvaro, can you give us a little bit of context on why we're having this conversation today, how your interest in CRDs got started, and then we can see a little bit what you know, Iada's experience has been in, in the industry, and then we can sort of compare and contrast. Awesome. Yes. Thank you very much for, mm -hmm. for having me here today. 
talking, talking about one of my favorite topics, which is, as you said very well, CRDs, right? So let me give, give a little bit intro why we're here today. Um, so CRDs, probably you're well aware of them. It means custom resource definition, and it's a way to extend Kubernetes. So Kubernetes, I call it sometimes, it's probably wrong, but I call it an object server. It is an API which manages CRUD operations on objects. Those objects have the shape, the schema, the YAML structure, however you want to call it, that is defined by the Kubernetes specification, and they may or may not take actions, right? So when you create a object of type pod, the Kubernetes controller will take action and actually instantiate some, some compute uh, uh, works, uh, you know, uh, workloads, right? Um, if you create a secret that will end up being on ETCD and probably will not do anything behind the scenes. So essentially this objects or Kubernetes is an, is an object API, right? So you, you interact with the API and you do CRUD operations and objects. The CRGs are a way to extend those with your own type of object. So you can create your own objects and support also actions, reactions, events on those um, CRUD operations on those objects. So why I love this concept? I love it because it essentially allows you to create your own API. So on top of Kubernetes, you can create, you can define the way that users will interact with your software, with your typically, let's say, operator, because this is mostly for operators. Right? So you define an API, and if you do this carefully and you provide a high-level API so that users can consume your operator, your software, uh, without having to know internals of the knowledge domain that is sitting behind that operator, then you're creating a very beautiful, easy-to-use interface for your software, for the operator. And actually, operators, are meant from the very beginning to be a way of encapsulating knowledge about a given topic and exposing a simple user interface. So just to give you an example, I am behind one of those operators called Stackgres. It is a software, an operator for running Postgres on Kubernetes. One of our goals is precisely to present an API, a user-facing interface that is very easy to consume without having to be a Postgres expert. So this is where my obsession, if you want to call it that way, with CRDs has started. Because if you carefully design them and you document them properly, and there's ways to do this technically, and uh, expose them only high-level concepts, users that may not familiar with Postgres will be able to run production workloads as if they were Postgres experts, as long as you code that expertise into the operator. So this is the general idea about CRDs. Now, the main reason we are here today is because I've been <laughs> constantly talking about this topic. And at one day, working with my team, we came to the realization that the CRDs are typically part of a pair. And this pair is the CRD and the controller. So if we look at what is called the operator pattern, which was uh, you know, originally envisioned at Red Hat or circa 2016, if I'm not mistaken, the idea was that you will create them kind of in pairs. You'll create a controller, which is the software that at the operator level decides to act upon changes, these CRUD operations on the CRDs. So most people focused on the need of developing the controller, which of course makes sense, right? It is the component that will 
take if, uh, you know, if we're talking about, again, going to the example, which I know the better, if you use stackers to create a Postgres cluster, there's a CRD called SG cluster, stackers cluster. So if you want to create a Postgres cluster, just create an SG cluster, which you can do by creating a YAML manifest file, following the spec of the CRD, right? And you submit it to Kubernetes and it will call the controller and this controller will take the appropriate actions to instantiate the pods and the secrets and the services and everything, the disks, the PVCs, everything that is needed to create this cluster. So typically most of the focus goes to the controller part. How do you react to these events? What actions do you take upon them? And the CRD in many cases is even you know, a second thought or even a byproduct. Even if you use some of the uh, frameworks to create operators in Kubernetes, the CRDs can be created automatically from the controller. So that's why I call it a byproduct. It's like, oh, we also need to do this, right? Um, and this becoming a second thought means that uh, I've seen a lot of cases where people don't put enough thought into the design of those CRDs. But again, going to square one, CRDs are essentially the user-facing API of your operator. So it's a part which, in my opinion, you should be very carefully designing using only high-level concepts, documenting it properly, because that's how the users are going to use your operator. So instead of thinking of CRDs as a separate component, as a byproduct of a controller of an operator, and instead of considering that they are a one-to-one -one mapping uh, hanging from a controller. So because you're going to implement a controller, it has to have a CRD and okay, let's generate it automatically with some annotations. What I'm advocating for is saying, no, let's design the CRDs first place as a top level, high importance entity of your operator. And then once this is done and the API is high level and it's stable and you carefully transition to newer versions of it, et cetera, with a smooth path without breaking backwards compatibility, et cetera, because again, that's the API you're exposing, then you'll develop the controllers. So this is why the topic got interested to me. But um, I have ideas that I've discussed with my team and several other people in the industry that take this approach much farther. But let me stop here uh, to maybe get some feedback. Uh, IR, maybe you want to provide some ideas here. Of course, anyone in the chat, feel free to drop comments already. And a little bit later, we'll go a little bit deeper on this topic. Um, I actually end up writing, a, I love the topic so much, I end up writing a, a white paper. I'll share it with you, it's published on, on Google Docs. Um, and I'll maybe go over it a little bit to explain some ideas behind to also discuss more. But for now, uh, let's put a break here to try to digest these concepts. What do you think, IR? So yeah, so you actually stopped in the right place for me to, to say my opinion. So I tell you what, I totally agree <laughs> about this concept and I tell you why, and I will see it for my side. But before I go there, I need to tell my background with CLDs. So as I mentioned, working in the tree, a tool to prevent misconfigurations in Kubernetes workloads. So we, what is unique about our solution is that you are able to run it on your cluster side, but also on your client side, which means it's also a static code analysis, but also a web book. So when people start using it, 
we thought about the different rules or best practices that you want to enforce as a user that's using Kubernetes and want to make sure that your workload is complied with them. So for example, I want to make sure that all my resources have labels or CPU or memory. We all know those best practices, right? And apparently those only a subset of stuff that can be considered as misconfiguration if you're doing the client-side validation. Another subset is I wrote the wrong kind type. Instead of deploying it with capital D, I used a small d. Or I don't know, I use a, or, um, some kind of a key or object that doesn't exist in this kind of um, kind. So a lot, a lot of different uh, misconfigurations that you can do that are not necessarily something that you consider as um, a standard policy. And then we thought to ourselves, hmm, are we going to actually create some kind of schema for that that will also check best practices, but also check that your resource is actually applicable to your cluster? And then we say, no, it makes no sense because it's already done on your cluster side. Kubernetes is doing it by itself. And then we start to look into the mechanism that how it's doing it. And apparently the way that it's doing it, there's something that's called um, open API, as we all know, which is used to uh, validate HTTP request um, or uh, other stuff. And they took this mechanism in order to validate the YAML manifest before it's applied to your cluster, which make a lot of sense because YAML is JSON and JSON is YAML. So what they did is they actually have inside the Kubernetes project the definition of how it should look like the manifest itself. And then we said, ah, here's an idea. Let's take it and implement it in our tool. So you as a user, we will not going only to give you those best practices like CPU, labels, so on. We will also make sure that your schema is applied uh, to the, the right schema is applied to your manifest. And this is how I got into the schema world. And now, after we um, delivered this feature, a lot of users told us, hey, wait, I have a CRD. And you don't have the schema for the CRD because I don't know, um, Datadog wrote this controller. So it's not part of the Kubernetes project, the schema definition, it's part of the Datadog project. So I want you to validate my CRD Oh, sorry, it's actually, it's a CR already. I want you to validate my CR, but the schema is over there. It's not in a centralized place. And then I said like, hmm, this is going to be tricky. <laughs> we can't actually solve it. So the way that we decided to do it, I said like, okay, we need to find a way to put all the CRs, all the schema for those CRs in a centralized place. And this is why I created a project, which is called CRD catalog, and it's containing all the schemas for popular CRs in one place. And this way, we are able to shift left validation of uh, CRs and doing it um, also when manifest before it's getting applied to the cluster. Again, once you, if you try to apply it to the cluster, the validation will already happen with the definition that is uh, existing the CRD itself. So this is why it's important to do it on the shift left. And this is the only way to do it. So this is um, how I got familiar with the CRD and CRs and all the validation problems. And now connecting it to where you stop, I, it's now that we have, I think we have more than 120 different schemas for different CRs. So we already see the pattern that 
it's not that easy to write a good CR. And if you're writing a CR, there's also the mechanism of writing all those um, schema definitions for them, which is basically like unit test. So not everyone putting the effort that is needed to make sure that you have enough coverage on your schema. And let's take this example from um, other concept in the developing world, in the development world. So for example, let's say you have a project and you have only test coverage of 20%. That's a bad practice. You want to make sure that you're using only projects that have more than 80% test coverage. So the same goes with CRs. Because people are not um, fully aware of this mechanism, there a lot of the time they're using CRs that uh, I, I would say low quality CRs uh, because the CRD itself is not high quality. And this is my take about it. So I totally agree. It's, it's a really interesting concept, the CRD concept, because it's really, really flexible, but it's also really, really complex because it's so flexible. And the problem is that not every time that we as a user are using a CR that is based on a CRD, we actually understand what is the underlying CRD and what's, what, how it's going to affect us. Indeed, uh, this, this totally resonates with, with our, our thinking, right, about, about this topic. And so in, in particular, validation is very interesting, and we can get, get a little bit deeper into that later, because the, there's kind of two levels for validation. The syntactic level, which is provided by the open API. If it's implemented, which, as you're saying, not everybody does, this typically also stems from the fact that sometimes the CRDs are created as annotations, annotations as part of a building process, but then you miss the opportunity or you need to do a lot of extra work to actually you know, craft these open API specs into the CRD. Um, and the other one is semantic validation, things that go beyond what you can do with open API. And it's like, oh, if you have set this field to whatever value, this all the value should be present or not, or should be within another range or whatever is the case, right? This typically are performed, cannot be performed statically, but need to be performed by, the, by a controller. Now, um, as I said before, if you want, I, I ended up writing a, a white paper about this topic. Um, so I'm going to share the URL, start the screen a little bit, just scroll down through it and mention a few concepts there to also kick off all the parts of the conversation. Um, but I see here a comment, uh, how do CRDs help to avoid errors? Don't know much about them, except that tools like, yeah, okay. Um, well, I probably have a better opinion here I, about this topic, but essentially uh, the CRDs is, is a way of communicating the intent of the operator to the user, right? So the operator says, okay, Prometheus, you're talking about Prometheus. Prometheus will deploy a Prometheus pod, maybe with the whole stack, alert manager, Grafana, whatever is the case. And the CRD is what parameters, think of a config file, is what parameters you as a user need to input there for the operator to perform the adequate operations. So because if, it, if, if you think it about a, as a config file, you can, you can put it the, the shape that you want, the parameters, the type of the parameters that you want, the nested extractor that you want, right? Um, and so it's up to the operator creation to define how you are gonna validate it. If you're gonna use the open API, which you can embed into the CRD definition, then it will be validated and will prevent from submission even at Kubernetes level or static level analysis, like if you're using something like the tree. Um, if you don't write it down, the open API, then it will all get submitted. Then it will reach your operator and then you'll validate it or not. So uh, the level of care, I would say that 
uh, will prevent you from errors stems from the level of development or care that has been taken by the operator developers in terms of validating at the open API level and then at the controller level. Yeah, exactly. Think about it like API calls. You as a server, you can um, say that you can only accept date in, a, in a, a specific format. If you won't state it and someone will send the wrong format, it won't be accepted. And if you won't have a way to communicate and tell him this is the right format, he won't know that this is not got it didn't get accepted. So it's the same concept. Again, I'm, I'm using the API example because um, uh, JSON schema or um, Open API, this was the reason why it was created at the get-go for validating API calls. Awesome. So um, if you don't mind, let me share the screen a little bit and talk a little bit about this uh, white paper. I just shared the link on the on the chat. Probably can also be shared on YouTube, so that um, we can we can follow it. Um, it's totally open document, so feel free to comment anywhere. Uh, but basically, where well, there's some introduction here, explain a little bit the concept we already discussed. And one of the first realizations is that uh, the CRs, the instances of the CRDs and the controllers are, are typically very tightly coupled, right? They, they come along together. And this actually comes from the very definition, right? Uh, but in reality, it's not strictly needed that a CRD has to be associated with a controller. And there's, there's cases where actually you can have CRDs without controller, um, controllers that manage multiple CRDs, uh, controllers without CRDs, even though that doesn't make much sense, but it still can make sense. So there's 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 typically the idea that, oh, I write a controller and need CRD. That's it, right? It's one-to-one -one mapping. If you write three controllers as part of your operator, that's also a usual, usual pattern, then you'll have three CRDs. Or if you see that an operator has four CRDs, that means that it has four controllers. And again, this doesn't need to be the case. And this leads to the fact that these CRDs, which again are the definition of these custom objects, they're typically bundled and distributed together with the controllers, which makes sense initially, but as I shall explain, maybe this is not the best idea. By the way, I hope the phone size is okay. Let me make it a bit bigger. Um, it's also interesting realization that typically CRDs and controllers are built by the same team. But this also makes sense, right? Because if the controller needs to react on changes to the CRD, you should control the whole process. But there's a better way for doing it for some particular use cases, right? So there's a few considerations here. Typically, as I said, there's a one-to-one -one relationship, but it could be end-to-one or end-to-m. Sorry, I think in terms of databases all the time. And, and actually, CRDs resemble a lot the DDL of a table structure. So sorry about that. But anyway, so. Here, what we are proposing on this white paper is, what if we would consider a CRD as a specification? So if you consider a CRD as a specification, then you would design it in a different way. Because typically, you will write the specification first, the CRD. Then you will write the implementation, the controller. This may not apply to all CRDs. So what I'm saying, I'm not advocating here is that, oh, now make all CRD specifications and all controllers follow. Maybe, but not necessarily. Um, and the idea is that if we view the CRDs unspecific, as a specification, then we're going to write it first. We're going to write it carefully. 
we're going to document it properly. And maybe we will even seek help from domain specialists, because maybe we are not perfect. We are not that good at creating that specification. Actually, specifications typically end up being signed by a committee, by a committee of experts. And then there may be multiple implementations of those of that specification. That's, that's the main concept proposing behind the idea of this open series. So let's make this a little bit more concrete. Let's look at an example. Let's imagine our application wants to use, uh, and by the way, this is already a little bit outdated example because actually Kubernetes is tackling that problem already, but it actually demonstrated this is a problem to solve. So let's imagine I am writing an operator and I want to store data on an object storage like S3 or, or Google Cloud storage or whatever, right? So this, for example, if I'm working on a Postgres application on Kubernetes, we want to store backups on object storage because it's the safest, safest and more uh, durable storage available, right? So whether it's S3 or DCS or whatever, I want to store backups on an object storage. So in my operator, I will ask the user, provide me the credentials, the path, the URL, whatever parameters are required to access the bucket so we can deposit the backup into this object storage. So let's, to simplify things, assume we're going to use S3. And we would like to create a CRD called potentially S3 bucket reference a reference to an existing S3 bucket. We don't want to create an S3 bucket. We assume you already have an S3 bucket. We just want to have the minimum amount of information to get access to it. So probably in this spec, and this is because you're the CRD designer, you can put here whatever you want, right? Under the spec. And you will decide that probably you want to expose a parameter called bucket, which will contain the name of the bucket. And then the credentials, which probably you will store in a secret. So you will ask for a secret key selector and then you will specify the two parameters that you typically need here. This is simplification. There's other ways to access buckets, but this is how it's going, right? Now, if you look at this CRD, it is a fictitious CRD, doesn't exist like this. What is the specific here about Postgres? Nothing. What is specific here about Stackgres, this system for running Postgres and Kubernetes? Nothing. This is absolutely common for anyone, any operator that may want to use an S3 bucket. And being so, why are we writing these CRDs by ourselves? And by the way, we are, well, I mean, I know two, one or two things about Amazon, but uh, I may miss some, some configuration parameters, some options for the, the key access. The same if we're talking about DCS or Azure. There's so many variants of this that I'm sure if we design it, we as Postgres operator creators invest time into designing this CRD, we will not do it correctly. We will be missing some parameters or some options, authentication mechanisms. And because this may benefit anyone who is using an object storage, why don't we work together? If we treat it as a spec, we will all sit together. Anyone who is interested in referencing an object storage bucket, right? Let's sit together and write the spec. Someone maybe will work on the Azure part. Maybe someone will work on the DCS part. Maybe we'll involve the clouds themselves and say, hey, let us know all the possible parameters, authentication mechanisms that we should build into this CRD. And then we will add it because this is a spec. It's designed by a committee. And then we will write this open spec. Now, once this spec is written, 
anyone will go to their own controllers and kind of write its own implementation. But if we do this, we can see clearly that we have broken this one-to-one -one mapping between the CRD and the controller. Because now the CRD is not that it's written first instead of a byproduct or an annotation that generates automatically the CRD from your controller. It's been designed by a committee of experts, subject to main experts on this particular topic. And then anyone, any operator can write a controller for it. So we'll do the appropriate thing for your own controller. That's totally operator dependent, but not the CRD. So this is the main idea behind this open CRD concepts. Before diving any deeper, what do you think about it? I have a question. Who will be the owner of the spec? I would say, I mean, anyone can do this, right? So, so I'm but not, that's uh, that's exactly the problem because if everyone can do it, we have the same problem like we have today. Everyone will create their own spec. We need yeah, to find a way to agree who is the owner of this spec that you describe. What what I would say is that this should happen. So this should be developed in the open, right? So actually the name OpenCRD already tries to, to, to give this idea. So what I would think about this is that there should be a GitHub repo, the main name, uh, where to host this OpenCRDs. And OpenCRDs will have an, an ownership as in the way as we'll pull together experts on each CRD that is going to be open or potentially shared across many uh, operators, right? And, you know, find the experts regarding the, this topic. And, you know, it's going to be five people from six different co five people, six people from six different companies, whatever the case is, that will write the spec. They will all own the spec. And then, you know, based on the usual concepts of how to contribute to open source projects, uh, you know, you will give committer rights to, to the people who are developing it and people will be able to send pull requests, whatever in the way of creating this in the open, developing it in the open, and then keep it again open for anyone to use them. So basically it will be like a mini CNCF uh, for CRDs in a way that it will be uh, agnostic. No one is actually the owner. It's all um, being managed by uh, com uh, committees. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and CNCF could be a good host for these, DOK, any others. Uh, in reality, what it matters is that Subject experts will gather together and write this. I also call it like the RFCs that, that moderate the, the internet, right? Uh, it's just a group of experts that gather together, write the spec. In this case, the spec could be also text, but in reality, the, the main output is going to be a JAML JSON file with the CRD and the open API spec, right? And just go gather together, write the spec, version it appropriately, and, and give it a try. Uh, pull, uh, publish an RFC so people can give opinion. Oh, this is going to work. We're missing something. And then come to a 1.0 final release of, uh, of a given CRD. And then operators can start, can start importing this into their own controllers and react to change to this in the way they want it to happen in their own operators. One thing that you mentioned, and I think I actually want to elaborate more about it, is the problem of documentation. And I totally agree about it because basically <laughs> this is one of, one of the areas where it's really, really lacking because people, as you know, creating complex CRDs that need to be uh, implemented later on with different operators. But a lot of the time they are not creating good enough documentation to understand how the mechanism work. And if they do, 
So if someone is doing something similar, you need to write, rewrite this um, documentation. And it's look like we forgot the basic concept of uh, development. Don't repeat yourself. And this thing that you advocating for, the open CRD, it's exactly that. It's we will stop repeat ourselves because we can reuse different parts for different operators. And this could even just is essentially what you're saying, but this could standardize also the way yeah. documentation is presented. If, for example, I uh, just open here the, the Stackrest uh, documentation, we as obviously we have a lot of CRDs, right? Because we believe into this concept. So there's like what eight, nine uh, CRDs here that this software is exposing, right? And if we open any one of those, we can see all the documentation that is included as part of the CRD, right? So there's here tables with document every field. But uh, that's the... rare. Exactly. This is what I wanted to say. Uh, but it's not even that it's rare uh, because, yes, we have here all the drill down. You can click, you can see the, all the documentation, and it's all full with the open API spec. It's rare, but even worse, it's not that I like this very much. I mean, it's great, or, or at least it's good, but it's not standardized. So people yeah. who come to our documentation website maybe will not realize that this is a CRD documentation, or if others are looking elsewhere, they may not find it. If there would be a central place where this at least the open CRDs, the ones that are more reusable across, because maybe here SD cluster is a little bit specific to this one. But SD Postgres config actually is a perfect candidate for something that could be reused across many operators, because this is just the configuration of Postgres. Any Postgres operator could reuse this one, right? So instead of having it published here as part of our Stackers documentation, if there would be this open CRDs website, which will publish this open CRDs, then we'll create a standardized way to showing the documentation of the CRDs themselves, because it's built into the CRD definition itself, the documentation, right? So programmatically, you can find a way to publish the documentation and the validation rules that are uh, done against the CRDs in a fully automated manner. So technology is there. We just need to, as you're saying, put more effort into it and then maybe try to standardize this idea. Yeah, and don't forget that it will also solve the problem that each CRD is on a different repository or different owner. So it's impossible to actually validate the CRs. And this is exactly why we created the CRD catalog project, because they are all spread around the entire universe when in different places. But now that when you have all the CRDs in one place, it will be basically seamless to validate them. Indeed. Indeed, absolutely. Actually, I'm thinking uh, let's let's show some some quick CRD because maybe some of our the people who are viewing this maybe lost what is exactly CRD. Show me the code. <laughs> uh, uh, let me show you, for example, some of the CRDs that we're using here. I hope uh, I'll be able to navigate through the code to get to one uh, CRD, for example. You you so, have a weird UI to your GitHub. Sorry, your GitHub UI looks weird. Ah, because ah, yeah. because it's GitLab. <laughs> it's GitLab. It's Git. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so here, no, this is not the CRD definition. Sorry about that. It's gonna be. Yeah, I think it's gonna be here. 
equator. Hold on. I'll do from command line because I'm just faster typing <laughs> it. Is there any question in the meantime uh, from the audience? One thing you were mentioning the point about documentation and how oftentimes, you know, navigating the high seas of operators, I think for some people can get a little bit overwhelming. And also on the customer facing side, sometimes what we've encountered in the community are doubts regarding, you know, trust, is this reliable, is it secure? Obviously, you know, Iyad, I think you're well familiar with the security world. When it comes to validating the quality of an operator, making sure that, you know, a customer is going to be comfortable with it. What are some things that you think end users should keep in mind in order to make sure that that part is covered? So that's a good question. So I have to say that regarding security, um, that's actually something that is most of the time, it's not mandatory. It's something that you need to decide the level of security that you want to enforce on your operators. But with what Alvero is suggesting is basically that we can also create a standard for the security level that the CRD should have. And this is a good concept because this way you as a user, you don't need to decide what is the level of security that you want because it's all be already be integrated inside the CRD. Yeah. Um, so this is a CRD, uh, for example. Um, this is a pretty large one, but it will serve as an example of what we're talking about here, right? This is a custom resource definition, and, and here's the, the name that I assigned to it. Then you specify versions, uh, you know, some parameters like uh, to show additional columns. But the main part comes here at the spec, and we see, for example, version, right? So what wait, is version? Wait, 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 go to the schema. Stop there. <laughs> here. Yeah. I was exactly. going to say it a bit later. Yeah. But okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so this is what, what IR is talking about the validation, right? That we embed an open API v3 schema, which is, you know, what it's going to look like. So the name, for example, is a string with a maximum length of 52 characters that should conform to this, uh, you know, uh, regular expression, sorry. And then this is the documentation, some, uh, you know, a retreat text which contain links, this is markdown format. And you know you, you can specify here. And if you look all down the CRD, there's always the same pattern. We specify each field, which type is it, the documentation, uh, which we try to make it quite complete, and then the the open API that validates this, right? And this is goes all around the place. It's pretty long, so I'm just going to go over it. But this is what you are using for validation, for static validation, what you're using at that tree, right? Yeah. Um, and this, yeah, I agree, this is not very common to go all this deep into the CRD design, but this is one of the ideas behind, behind this, right? Um, and then the idea about this open CRD is to take it a step further and design them as if they were a specification and potentially by a committee of experts that gather together and say, okay, let's, let's design this as a standard and then let's use it as we wish. Yeah, so I have a question. What are the downside of this concept regarding what we have today? So there's there's a few downsides, um, but they are more kind of on in, on the implementation side. Um, I, I believe in general this should be a pretty good thing to do. 
there's obviously downsides that when things are designed by comedy, uh, there might be tensions, there might be bias, and there might be, you know, it will take longer, but eventually I believe that a, a healthy open community should be able to create high quality series, right? Now, there's, there's the problem of distribution, how you import these definitions. And there's the problem that typically there's the assumption that you should not have more than one controller per CRD. And so when you bring these open CRDs, what happens if you have already kind of uh, controllers that are not ready to understand them? Or, so there's a problem of bundling. Essentially, when you install an operator today, typically most operators, they deploy the code and they install the CRDs. If these CRDs are foreign to the project, they are stored elsewhere, how do you distribute them? How do you ensure that if you install the CRD, there's going to be a controller reacting to it? Because otherwise it makes no sense to install it. It's just metadata. And that you don't have more than one controller for a foreign CRD. Uh, and this is actually kind of the second part of this the CRDs, the, the concept of this open CRD. So let me uh, go a little bit deeper on this. Um, first of all, we need to make them self-contained, right? So the CRD could have everything that you need to deploy. It. So it could be hosted on a standardized URL, predictable based on project name, version, etc. And it should have the open API spec and the documentation all contained within, right? And should not have an implementation of this controller. So anyone can decide what we're going to do. So when someone is going to create an instance of this CRD or it's going to modify one, whatever action should be taken on Kubernetes land, that depends on the controller. Um, as I was mentioning, how to import them. So there should be a mechanism to import as a dependency. And you would say, oh, okay, so my project, let's say, wants to use this S3 bucket definition. So I want to pull a dependency on this particular open CRD. And this mechanism doesn't exist, something that needs to be created, right? And then how to install this. So um, in reality, I'm just going to skip some parts here that are not that important types of potentially different types of CRDs. This is a digression about you know, what role a CRD may play. Um, but the most important part here is that uh, in order to deploy these open CRDs in a standardized manner, maybe there is this concept of, of admission microcontrollers. So there should be developed also, bearing to all these, an open CRD operator, which will handle these dependencies and will ensure that you will have a controller for this. So if you say my operator depends on the S3 bucket CRD, then it will pull the dependency, will install the CRD JAML uh, definition for you and make sure that there is a way to control this. And we can take it even farther and providing small bits of, remember that I mentioned before, our, the difference between syntactic and semantic validation, right? So the open API provides the syntactic validation part. But if we write open CRDs, we might also have a way to express a little bit of semantic validation. For example, if we're talking about the S3 bucket uh, API, we might want to say, oh, if you say that here, uh, this field contains a value or you're specifying the access key ID, you also have to provide the secret access key field, for example. This might not be easy to express with OpenAPI, but we know we are creating the spec. We, are, we have the hat of these spec creators. If we know that we need to do this, 
then how can we bundle into the definition of this OpenCRD the knowledge that this second field needs to exist? And so this, uh, this white paper proposed the idea of microcontrollers, which are tiny controllers that work only as admission, basically to reject or not to reject and uh, 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 creation or modification of an existing CR that will run before your own controller just to perform semantic validation. And this could be technically reused. This could be somehow even embedded into the CRD definition itself, similar to the syntactic, syntactic validation provided by the open API schema, but this is runnable code. Um, so here, the, the, this white paper provides some idea of how to do this um, in, in technically speaking from a code definition, but I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. Um, so feel free to, to, you know, to check it out and give your opinion. There's even proposed a domain name for this. It's actually reserved just in case. But, but this is totally open idea to be developed for the wider community and of course, subject to any opinion. I would just say that they are actually working on a solution for what you described that you are not able to um, compare different objects inside the, the schema. So they're going to introduce a new concept which is called the data, if I remember correctly, which will solve this uh, issue. So maybe you won't need the microcontrollers to make this validation. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds fantastic. It should be an addition, actually, to the white paper. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Look good. Now, I guess another thing in the operator world, oops, sorry, is, you know, once again, with so many operators out there, the need, and this has been something that's been talked about, you know, as, as an additional idea building on what, what Alvaro has already been providing is for end users that are out there, how to decide what's going to be the best mix and match for them in the future. Can we imagine a world where operators could be certified in terms of quality, where it could become easier for end users when making that decision to, to, to know more about the specifics and know what's going to best match their use case? Is that something that either of you could foresee happening or where do you see this going in the next couple of years? Well, it's, it's a pretty broad topic, but let me give you a very quick answer on, on, on one subset of this, which is precisely if, if this concept would take on this open CRDs, right? And operators will start using them, then it provides a path for users to A, reduce the knowledge burden to, new, to know something new. For example, if uh, we would standardize the Postgres configuration CRD and it will be used by several operators, it will be easier to port, to move from one operator to the other because you will need to learn less stuff. Once you have learned this CRD, and if it's used elsewhere, there's, there's no, nothing else to learn. So it reduces the knowledge burden of knowing, learning these new APIs. So what I would see is that operators that would use open CRDs will become more interesting for users because they are somehow more standard. Very good. Ayar, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. It will be more accessible for the community to actually write the controllers because a lot of the overhead of documentation and testing with the creating the schema and so on, or even being an expert of understanding what you need to how it's need to be implemented, this burden will be taken and will be handled by someone or by a different group. Um, so this way you will have less to write and more to enjoy. I also got a message that I didn't share the link to the CRD catalog repositories. Are we doing it right now? So sorry for jumping into a different topic. It's all good. 
So feel free to check it out, star it, use it. You need, more star, you need more stars on GitHub. I know I don't need more stars. So it's just for my ego. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we can never have too many stars. No, that's good. I will. I share the link right now in the chat so people can have access to that. No, but this is good. And I think it's, you know, like many topics as well that, that we come across in the community, seeing all the potential for growth, uh, the potential for, for more specialization. And I think perhaps some of the stuff we're referring to, I'd like to know what you think about this. You know, I think, what is it, the, the Kelsey Hightower comment that we're all trying to work to make Kubernetes, you know, more boring or that, you know, to be sort of in the background. Do you think this is an example of that as well? I absolutely think so. Actually, I believe that, again, if this concept take, uh, you know, uh, build some momentum, uh, maybe this could be a great indication for Kubernetes to know which new objects they could offer us built in into Kubernetes. Natively. Yeah, exactly. This could be a kind of an incubation staging area where you see the popularity of the open CRDs being used and say, oh, look at these three. Everybody's using them. Everybody's implementing them. And they're pretty generic. Why shouldn't they become, you know, first level objects on Kubernetes? And actually, the S3 bucket reference that I was uh, referencing as an regional object storage has exactly followed this path, except that it wasn't an open CRD in the first place. But it's something that they realized a lot of operators were using, and they decided to, be, be, to build into Kubernetes. So this could be a perfect way of measuring the popularity and the maturity of this kind of custom definitions that people are using as APIs to their operators. That's a really good point. But I have to say there's also a downside, because every time that we're adding a new layer of abstraction, it's actually making it more complex for the user to understand what's happening. And therefore, it is all considered as dark magic for them. So that's one thing to consider. Actually, let me say something here. There's, there's a lot of discussion that a lot of people stand that Kubernetes is very difficult. And I strongly disagree with that. Uh, actually, I find Kubernetes super simple, except that it's very extensive. So learn Kubernetes, uh, my experience, I learned Kubernetes on a plane. I was traveling to the US. When I landed in the US, I knew Kubernetes, of course. The Wait, very, which very, part, very which part of the US? How long was the flight? No, no, I agree. I was saying, because I'm flying like 15 hours tomorrow, but I mean, whatever, two hours in Amsterdam, but regardless, so you figured it out. <laughs> no, but it's right, because learning Kubernetes is easy. Implementing Kubernetes, that's hard. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, you know, you know, deploying a pod, uh, a secret, and a service—that that's pretty trivial. You can learn this in minutes or a few hours. You understand the concepts at the beginning is like you're checking, but once you get the point, uh, you can deploy pods and simple workloads in in a matter of hours. Now, why is Kubernetes hard? Because there's there's dozens and dozens of objects with very complex properties. If you want to understand everything, yes, but. If you want to operate with a given subset of it, it's not that hard. So what I would say is it's not difficult, it's just extensive. Yeah, exactly. There's a balance that between complexity and simplicity. And if you want um, to give a lot of capabilities, you have to be complex by default. There's no, no other way to do it. And it's doing a lot of magic. It's got to have this. Exactly. And look how many use cases you can actually solve in different industries, in different companies with Kubernetes which show us that it's actually really, really flexible and therefore it's have to be some kind of complex. And by this is why we have the, all those uh, abstractions that we keep adding. Before deployment, we had a, we, we, before the kind of deployment, we have something else, we had stateful and uh, 
what else was there. And before that, we had only pods. So every time we're adding a new layer just to make it more simple, but it's also yeah. creating some kind of dark magic for the user. And actually, if you compare this to, to how we did things years ago, not that many years ago, right? Uh, I, I recently asked my team, we were working on a project for a customer and we're building a quite complex system with a lot of moving parts. And one of the requisites we communicate with the customer is that we will only do this in Kubernetes. There's, there's no way we will do without Kubernetes. They were not happy about this. They're, they're a company which typically have some reluctance to this. They, 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 they trust us. So um, once the project was well on the way, I went back to my team and said, what if we would have had to do this without Kubernetes? They would say, this would have taken us years and actually I wouldn't have done it. Like, don't count with me. And, and yeah, and I mean, it can be complex, but it's solving a so complex problem that years ago would take much more effort to, to do that it's more than justified. This is what you're saying. Like it's solving so many things and it's so flexible that, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of bolts to know about and to learn for sure. I don't even learn, know half of them, right? And I, but, but I think it's also part of the point is that you don't need to know half of them. You're, you you know, and I think so many folks get overwhelmed. I had a conversation earlier today about the CNCF landscape. Yes, it's huge, but he, the CTO of the CNCF, as a CNCF ambassador, I can say this, <laughs> I have zero stars on GitHub. <laughs> 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 and I'll never be an Amazon hero uh, because they won't want me. No, but Chris Andersek said, you know, like, don't worry. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't, not half necessarily, but there's just tons of stuff that you don't need to know. And so focus yeah. on the things that you do need to know that are going to add value. And yes, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but what, I, what both of you are saying is that with the problems that it solves for you, it's worth the time and effort, you know, like, um, sorry, I think these, these are, these Absolutely. are great conclusions. These are great conclusions. Um, so yeah, so we expect Kubernetes to become very boring, very routine in how much time? Two years. Two years? No, I will go with him. Two years. <laughs> well, give it Tim. Well, this is a good, this is a good excuse to circle back in two years to see where we're at with all this. But I think both of you have seen plenty of you know new technologies making their way in, and you know what's the what's the adoption period? You see the massive number of contributors inside Kubernetes. I think that's that's a sure sign to see how this how these things are progressing. Um, but uh, it's anyway, it's 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 reassuring to hear that. Alvaro, I am curious, how long is the flight from Madrid to Alaska that you were on there? <laughs> 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 or Hawaii? <laughs> I'm not sure which. Actually, the longest one we have from Madrid is LA, which is... That's long. That's 13 12. hours. Yeah, 13. Well, yeah, yeah 12, 13 hours. Yeah. It's not that long, but typically I'm, 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 I'm connecting somewhere in the US. So let's count with the layover. Too long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You had a good layover somewhere. That's good. No, I mean, uh, long. I, I measure flights and how many movies I watch. So tomorrow I'll probably watch probably four. And sometimes you just watch like a little part of, you know, Terminator. Or <laughs> I just fast forward to the parts that I like. Uh, but no, that's good. Uh, we're getting towards the end. Both of you are very active in lots of different things. Alvaro, first to you. What are your upcoming events, things on your radar, things that you're working on? Um, in terms of events, I'm going to be in a couple of weeks in the Postgres conference happening in Berlin. Um, later on, the week after, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to be in Barcelona at DevOps Days. Um, and uh, later in November, I'm going to be in reInvent at Las Vegas, Amazon. Um, if any, any listening, anyone listening wants to meet up in person, let me know. I'll be around these three 
uh, these three areas. I actually uh, normally publish, I'm a little bit behind this time, but uh, everything on my personal webpage. I'll just uh, share the link if that would be interesting Perfect. because all my talks are recorded there and all my uh, events will be also be happening there. So that's going to be happening in, in terms of in-person events. Good. And what about you, Eyar? So I have a new baby at home, so I'm not going to leave anytime soon. <laughs> um, but I do am going to advocate for the CLD catalog, which was pretty surprising how, how it got adopted with me doing nothing to actually publish uh, to publish it. And it's already got uh, um, trending on GitHub as a, as a top trending repository. And I have a lot of people from the community that are adding their own CRDs, sorry, CLs, um, to, to this project. So I was really surprised to see how much the community needed this kind of solution. And therefore I decided to prioritize my time and I put some time and effort into making this project more accessible and also to advocate for it so more people will um, be familiar with it. Very good, all right, fantastic. Um, once again, both of you are very, very active and so plenty of action. We'll expect to be hearing more about this. We're actually thinking about organizing something to take a deeper look at the CNCF white paper about operators um, with Alex Jones, who's one of the primary authors of that. And so we'll definitely keep you informed about that because this is an yeah. ongoing conversation. We've done 153 live streams and it's very uncommon that operators don't appear in the conversation at some point in time. <laughs> so it's something that we, we know we need to pay close attention to as it evolves. And so like, like I said, we always wanna be thinking about you know, what's gonna be coming next. That being said, as always, we have an amazing artist who's working very hard behind the scenes while we're talking. And he created nice. a wonderful uh, depiction of what you guys were talking about. We have a chips and salsa operator, or it's a card game. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> card game. So anyway, shout out to Arcel. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting kind of hungry. Um, but it's, it's in Spain, it's very early dinner time. It's, it's you know, Sunday. Oh, too early. <laughs> I was like, yeah, give it three hours. What's wrong with this American guy? How can I get it? Yeah. Oh, no, no, we'll send this to you. Don't worry. Oh, okay. This will be on Twitter. This will be in Slack. This will be in everywhere. Arcel always does an amazing job. So shout out to him. Um, but yeah, I think this was a great conversation and one that will has plenty of room for continuation. So both of you gentlemen can expect to hear from us. Thank you very much for your time today and look forward to seeing all the wonderful things you'll be doing next. Thank you Bye -bye. very much. All right. Take care, everybody.